good evening. The teachers and I were talking about uh, the difference between giving a Dharma talk inside on the stage and outside in the performance. It's very different. Just as teaching on a nature Dharma retreat is very different because we're co-teaching with vastness and beauty brilliance and wisdom, hummingbirds and oak trees and waving grasses. And so our role is as much pointing to helping you open to the wisdom that's already here, all around us, and also within us. So it's nice as a teacher not to be center stage. So I was thinking about what to talk about today. And I was walking down the hill, and uh, as I do, I start asking the truths. What should I talk about today? <coughs> what would, if nature was giving the Dharma talk, what would nature talk about? Because we're not separate from nature, so nature is speaking through me. Hopefully, I'm a suitable vehicle for her to speak through. So, this is what I heard. Thus have I heard the Earth Sutra. Without disturbing the silence, she speaks. You are always welcome. You are always welcome. Come outside, explore, play, get curious. Why do you seclude yourself indoors? Open the windows, step out through the door, head into grassy meadows, soft hills, quiet groves. You live in a perpetual homecoming. You are home, a part of everything here. Every branch, every leaf, every fin and wing and your kith and kin. Behold your sisters and your earthen brothers. Behold your swallow sisters and earthen brothers. Get low to the ground. You have roots that touch every living thing. Look around. See. Everything grows according to its nature. There is no perfection just life expressing itself perfectly. 
You are not a mistake. Can't you see your wild, eccentric expression is how I've wanted to move through you. Yes, I am always moving through you. Listen to how you're embedded, how the soil is baked into your bones, streams coursing through capillaries. You are my lungs taking in the air. I sense your footsteps upon me. Remember, you are always known. Never once, not even for a moment apart. Always embraced in the reciprocal dance of mutuality. Thus have I heard. You are always welcome here. sings and the turkeys bellow so that could be enough there's <laughs> 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 in a way less and less to say Sometimes the words muddy the silence. I do have a few more words to say. Hopefully, <laughs> 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 it doesn't muddy the silence. But I can't promise. <laughs> I had that same experience today. I walked down to the lower meadow and just sitting in the silence with the group there. It was so exquisite. And it really feels true. The words can't improve on the silence and on the just a beautiful mystery that's, that is just sitting in presence together, quiet. And so, so what are we doing here? Or what happens while we're here? You know, we're becoming slowly here, slowly embodied, slowly attuned. And that's, that's just the arriving. Right? Just the arriving. And then we start to get quiet. And we start to get empty. And we start to feel transparent at times. Or porous. Soluble. And it's as if, as we get quiet and more porous in nature, however we feel and understand what nature is, starts to permeate, starts to soak into us. And we, we start to saturate with beauty, with wisdom, with clarity, with knowing, with connection.
And in that quietness, in that porousness, we start to see more clearly. We start to see clearly, you know, the translation for Dhamma is nature. We start to see not just nature, but the nature of things. It's more sort of the sensual reality that we've been pointing to. And that poem, in a way, was sort of speaking to that. And one of the things that we start to understand a little more is, is who or what we are. Nature reflects back ourselves to ourselves, or reflects back our nature to ourselves. And we start to feel into, sense into, Maybe I'm not so separate after all. Maybe I'm not a mistake. If the earth is goodness, and I'm born from the earth, maybe there's some goodness here, just as in the oak tree, and the fallen bay trees, and the bones and the grasses. So one of my, what feels like my root teachers, uh, Achan Bodhidasa, who got tired of um, city living in, as a monk in, in Bangkok, opened the monastery in southern Thailand called Wat Swan Mok. Some of you may have been there, beautiful forest monastery, which means, translates as Garden of Liberation. So we've been hanging out here in Spirit Rock's Garden of Liberation, Garden of Wisdom. And it's that poem, I think I read this, said this at the beginning of the retreat. Those words from Kabir when he said, when the eyes and the ears are awake, even the leaves on the trees read like pages from the scriptures. Remember that? Oh, so that's cute. That's cool. <laughs> and then we start to we start to wake up in our eyes and ears. We start to be more here. And we're gazing sometimes. You know, like I was gazing lovingly at this beautiful poison oak plant shiny, present, tenacious, resilient, powerful, beautiful. And I see it, even the leaves on the trees, even the leaves of a poison oak plant, read like pages from the scriptures, teaching us deep truths about life. Our eyes are open. So hopefully by now, one of the things that may be a little bit um, tuning into is that we're not just on the earth. We're not just plopped down from some spaceship. 
we are of the earth, we are in the earth, we are of the earth. We are not an aberration, a virus that needs to be eradicated. We are of the earth, with the earth's moving surface, knowing herself. The earth knows herself through us. This is from Mary Elba. She writes, This morning, the beautiful heron was floating along above the water and then into the sky of this, the one world we all belong to, where everything sooner or later is part of everything else whose thought made me feel for a little while quite beautiful myself. This world, the one world we all belong to, where everything, sooner or later, is part of everything else. So I want to speak to that theme today, to speak into our knowing of who we really are is so different than who we take ourselves to be. And so hopefully in your time here, you may have had a little shift in perception. And we've sort of pointed to different ways you can do that. I was teaching a, so I run nature meditation teacher training in my way to the wild work and I was teaching at a retreat a few weeks ago and um, the uh, forest service firefighting aerial crews were at a base just down the road from our retreat center. <laughs> so every, you know, 15 minutes they were doing aerial practice, <laughs> picking up water, dropping it off, helicopter rides. <laughs> and I was happy they were training. Because we need them. So we were exploring the elements today. Hello, elements. Hello, elemental friends. You're just a bag of water and earth and fire and air jumbling around. Can you hear me okay with those planes? Yeah, okay. You know, one of my favorite things when I'm out, I pointed this to this today, but it's more poignant when we're in the wilderness and then backpacking and we're camping by a stream or a base camp by a stream or pond where we're drawing our water from. Like there will be you know, a couple of weeks up in the mountains in Colorado. And after a week of drinking from the spring, at the end of the week, because we've been, you know, sweating and peeing and evaporating and our bodies are more the mountain stream than anything else. Literally, I don't know how quickly the body replenishes water, but 
60-70% of our body is, being, is now flushed with Mount Tamalpais rainwater that probably fell during these winter storms. So we're all rainwater, evaporating oceans, where everything sooner or later is part of everything else. And I had that thought and I mentioned it to the group that maybe that water that evaporated um, was, was not long ago, um, I don't know if whales sweat, but let's say uh, they do. Um, <laughs> well, let's say it was part of their blood and they shed blood and it became ocean water and that ocean water evaporated and fell on Mount Tam and ended up in your glass and you're now part blue whale where everything sooner or later is part of everything else. And it sounds romantic, but it's also true. You know, when we breathe and we breathe the exhale of these trees, we are changing the atmosphere. The atmosphere isn't this thing up there the conceptual that climate scientists talk about, we exhale, we influence the atmosphere. We breathe in the atmosphere, not separate. And as we're eating our dinner, or lunch, or whatever it is, you know, we're eating the soil from the land here. Most of this food is locally grown, locally sourced, so we're eating Marin County, Northern California, microorganisms, right? Those ones in the ground become fertile, intelligent still. So, Buddhist teachings, wisdom teachings, the Buddha pointed to, he said, Who are you? What is this self that I refer to as me, myself, and I that I spend my life? Orienting around. And so he, he challenged a few fundamental notions of, of who we take ourselves to be. He said, This self is not independent, not separate, not self existing. There's no such thing as a, a person being an island or the rugged individual separate. We're, we're, so inextricably linked, and the elements practice is a way of seeing that. That we're now the air element for more than a few minutes. We die. The waters are running through our veins, fresh water down our spine, salty tears of the oceans. And so as we're outside, we can start to feel into, oh right, I'm not so separate, I'm not so other. This is from Fred Lamont, who puts it sort of amusingly. He says, my DNA results just came in, just as I suspected my great-great-grandfather was a monarch butterfly. <laughs> Much of who I am is still wriggling under a stone. I am part larvae, but part hummingbird too. There's dinosaur tar in my bone marrow. My golden hair sprang out of a meadow in Palestine. 
My uncle is a mastodon. There are, recent, there are, there are traces of white people in my saliva. 3.7 billion years I swirled in hydrogen dust, dreaming of a planet. More recently, say 60,000 BC, I walked on hairy paws across a land bridge joining Sweden to Botswana. I can no longer hide my heritage of raindrops and cougar skin. My mud was molded with your grandmother's tears. Don't pretend the earth is not one family. Don't pretend we have never hung from the same branch. Don't pretend we do not ripen on each other's breath. Don't pretend we don't come here to forgive. Those planes are flying on remnants of dinosaur bones ancient beings crushed in sediments of rock, propelling the airplane. Not separate, just wild, just mysterious. So everything is dependent on everything else. Interar, as you know, is Tignahansis. Took 13.7 billion years of evolution to make your lettuce and salad today, and to make your retinas and fingernails. afternoon, sitting in the cool shade, and then the shade moves, and I'm in the burning sun. <laughs> Hello, distant star, hot, penetrating, and then the body's sweating, sticky, and my clothes start soaking. My clothes are wet because the sun is, because I'm related, because it creates heat, because it generates moisture and evaporation. And suddenly there's more moisture in the air. I had a friend in India as a monk who called himself Stardust. And I think that's a weird name for a monk. Just things like Venerable Sabuti and <laughs> Kinchano and you know, these wonderful Pali names, Dardis. And as I sort of immerse myself more outside, it's like, oh, Stardust, right. It's all connected. It's not just a nice New Age idea invented at Essel a few years ago. <laughs> this is from Tyler Kent White, who writes, 
One night when you were just a star, someone hung every hope, every dream they had from your limbs. And so if you ever feel inferior, ever start to doubt your beauty or creativity, remember this. You have constellations lining the cathedral walls of your chest, a moon for a heart, and the sunlight pouring through your skin. You are a symphony of stardust, and you were born to shine. You have a moon for a heart, sunlight pouring through your skin, constellations lining the cathedral walls of your chest. You are a symphony of stars that are born to shine. So nature teaches us so beautifully this, this quality of interdependence, this inter R, as the Buddha said, this, this is because this is. This tree is because of so many past conditions, including the dropping of an acorn into the soil. And the incredible DNA intelligence of that acorn and water and sunlight and soil and air and kindness for it to grow. So in, when we're outdoors, it's easier to see because we're less protected from the elements, from the beauty and the, and the fullness of life. We see where our mood, our thoughts, our feelings, our perceptions constantly being influenced. You're sitting quietly in the meadow and all of a sudden there's this of like stomping, charging, sound like a horse racing down the hill. I expected this to be, <laughs> it was a deer, I think it was a deer. I it was a deer. And suddenly my heart's racing, excited and curious and wondrous. Oh, what was that? I was sitting here and we're looking at those, as I was watching people at lunch, with a beautiful tapestry of color in front of the, 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 the picnic tables. And I thought about each prayer, earth teach me stillness as grasses are still with light. Notice how each time you're looking at something, the grass is swaying, the birds, the swallows flying, the, the water stillness, tree and stream trickling. We interact, we interbeing, we interrelate, interaffected. And we go up to the meadow in the morning and it's still and suddenly However agitated we were, we suddenly feel still. I'm not separate from the meadow, I'm not separate from the stillness. I hear the finches and the, the vireos and the juncos and they're just singing delightfully and I feel delight. I feel delight. sound like the, the plane or the bird or the wind, where does the sound begin and end? Where do you begin and end? Do you feel the breeze? Where does the breeze begin and you begin? Not so separate. I love, I teach a lot of Vallecitos, a wonderful wilderness retreat center in northern Mexico. I'll be going there soon. One of my favorite things is to walk through the Ponderosa Grove, 
and and there's many many down trees as the Lord says in the forest. And but my favorite is you see a line in the ground that there was a ponderosa, and it's it, it was you know sort of chunky decaying tree and then becomes sawdust and then it becomes a line. When is the tree a tree and when does it become ground? And we're the same. And when that when you eat that apple for breakfast, when does the apple become you? When you drink the water, when does that mountain rain become veins and sweat? So, to explore a little uh, more explicitly about the nature of self. So one of the powerful things that happens when we go outdoors, particularly when we're alone, but even with a group in silence, and we're going to give you some alone time tomorrow in the afternoon where you get to just practice on your own, as some of you have been doing, walking, meal times, is when we step outside, we walk into the woods, into the hills, into the meadows, we come into a, a world, a life, that isn't selfing. That isn't, this oak tree, I doubt, is saying to itself, pretty good up here. <laughs> I'm like, you know, top dog here, pretty big. Not a, no competition around here. <laughs> no, it's just treeing. And the grass is a grassing. And the bird is birding. And the meadow is meadowing. And the turkeys are turkeying and singing. There's something profound about that absence of self-referencing. When we're around other humans, as beloved as we are, we, we, we self-reference in a way that seems to be more or less distinct from almost all other species. Where our lives, our thoughts, our preoccupation with ourselves, particularly in our mental landscape. So we tend to ruminate and dwell and proliferate. You notice that this week? One or two thoughts about yourself, life, me, my dramas, and how I'm doing, and how I look, and how I feel, about me, and now you tell me about me. <laughs> It's really old, boring, tedious. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Me, myself, and I. <laughs> and then we come outside and it's like, ah. Oh. And, and, and we, because, again, with, as we cultivate mindful presence, and our attention goes outwards, it's why I always tell people go outside, go outside, go outside. Because it shifts our attention from this self-preoccupation, which is often painful or negative or fear-inducing, catastrophizing, and we shift to present moment 
there's no problem to be fixed, no self to be improved. It's just this quiet, empty, nobody going nowhere. And so maybe you've had moments of that here, sitting quietly and see, I see some smiles, I see some nodding, not if this is if you can relate to this experience, not if you can have some recognition that's right, I see quite a bit of nodding going on. Whether it's here or other places you've been out in nature. And then you're sitting by the tree and there's just nothing to do. of self, self-consciousness, you know, thought about my safe, am I, is it okay, yeah, returns. And the sense of self snaps back, like elastic band. And we feel constricted, we feel tight, we feel separate, we feel maybe a sense of threat, self-protection. And then we realize that person goes down a different trail. And we hear the footsteps fade away, and we hear the sound of the crickets, and finches, and wind blowing, and the sense of self that felt so constricted suddenly just dissolves. And it's just being, seeing, hearing, sensing. And so what's the Buddha talked about, he said, with the sense of self, he said, um, uh, that which is transitory, is it possible to say this is me, myself, or I? The sense of self seems so, so solid, and yet it also dissolves and fades in meditation, in nature, when I'm quiet, when I'm immersed in beauty, absorbed into listening. Ebbs and flows, what does this mean? This, this, this fluctuating sense of self that seems so dense, and yet when I look, where is it? Can I find it? Can I feel it? I can feel it sometimes. A sense of constriction. 
So nature's pointing to something that's always here, sort of be beneath or quieter than the busy selfing mind. And we can intimate it, we feel it, we sense it at times. It's a beautiful poem from uh, poet Li Po, Chinese Chan poet, from many centuries ago, like the 8th century, 12th century. He's like many of the Chan hermits who are up in the mountains, and um, he's sitting, gazing at the mountains, in the mountains. It's this beautiful short poem, some of you know, and it goes, so you can look at the hill while you hear this poem, it says, the birds have vanished into the sky, and the last remaining clouds have faded away. We sit together, the mountain and me, until only the mountain remains. We sit together, the oak tree and me, until only the oak tree remains. We sit together, the sky and me, until only the sky remains. We sit together, the turkeys and me, <laughs> until only giggles remain. <laughs> and it's that simple, and it's that immediate, and that available, in any moment. We, we, as it were, lose ourselves in that intimacy, in that presence. And it's because when the confluence of mindfulness, awareness of a trained mind that can be present in nature allows that contact to be profound and at times liberating. And for myself, you know, I spend a lot of time in nature. Teaching, hiking, backpacking, sitting, a whole lot of doing nothing, like we've been doing here. And, and, and because it's been my practice for 30 plus years, it's a, that experience that we pose pointing to is immediate, immediate. And just gaze at a leaf, a tree, a plant, flower, sky, cloud, and only the sky, cloud, flower remains. And there's quiet, there's peace, there's ease, there's stillness, there's freedom. And then the thought arises, but you've got to send that email. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I do. Okay, flowers, sky, trees, back to the email. Types of emails, like not so easy to dissolve into the email. Types of emails, look up, look out the window, gaze at the water. We sit together, the water in me, to love me, the water remains. And go back to email. A few more emails. And so it goes. It's a wonderful uh, mistranslation of that poem, which I love. So when you're, listening, when you're reading any translation of anything, including Buddhist texts particularly, um, be wary, because who knows what the original author or teacher meant. This is, this is the Li Po poem. 
All the birds have flown up and gone. A lonely cloud floats leisurely by. We never tire of looking at each other, only the mountain and me. <laughs> me. <laughs> My selfie stick. <laughs> we never tire of looking at each other. I mean, I actually don't know which translation is right. I certainly prefer the former one. It's a great Donald poem, and I think it's more accurate. It's a very profound writerly poem. I don't think he was gazing in the dream. I'm gazing at me. Oh, delusion. So when we think about this self is changing, self, how many selves have you been this retreat? Maybe you arrived at the retreat and like super enthusiastic. You were the, the, the gun hole one, huh? enlightenment this time, not a bust. <laughs> and then you had a crappy night's sleep and you were like, you woke up next morning, you were the grumpy one, and you were the irritable one, the door slamming one, and uh, giving my coffee, you know. And, and then at some point you, that, you had some coffee and you came up to the, the meadow and said, ah, the meadow, and you're the happy one. This is great, I love nature. And then you stop feeling the bugs crawling on you and you see a tick and you, know, you start to get all worried and suddenly you're the afraid one. And on it goes, all these different cells, they come and they seem so real in the moment that when you wake up and you're grumpy and tired, it seems so real, I'm grumpy, don't talk to me. You can't, because you're in silence. Good. <laughs> stay away from me. And then, and then you go for a walk, and you fall in love with a deer, and suddenly you're the, the heart-blooming one. And it's so, like, oh, and that, and that feels so real. And it always seems so permanent. Oh, and now this love is here. I'm finally accessing love. I'm trying to find it. And then someone doesn't hold the door for open for you as you come into the Dharma hall and you get, you get jilted, you're hurt, and I dare they, and you feel the affronted one. And the loving one disappears. And it's funny, but it's also true. Who, who are we? All these selves. They're ephemeral fleeting, like the weather. So, so why is that important? Why is it important to see through the misperception of identity? You have to look at your own mind in meditation to see how much drama and suffering and pain comes from that story, belief, separation, fear, projection, I just want to say, speak to another dimension, which maybe we'll speak to a little more tomorrow. So, in that quietude, when 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 we're out in nature and we get quiet, we feel connected, we feel attuned, we feel open, we feel porous, we feel sensitive. 
as we were pointing to today, the heart engages. And we start to feel touched, moved, love. Right? And it seems like the emptier we get, the quieter we get, the more what takes that place is fullness of heart, is love, is, is when we sense that, we sense the lack of separation, we see how intimately connected we are, we feel gratitude. We breathe because these trees exhale. We eat because of this trillions of microorganisms in the farm where the, the salad came from today. And we, we start to feel the vulnerability of life and the fragility of life and the sensitivity of life. And someone was speaking to me today in something that I feel on a daily basis. We, um, we start to feel tender. We start to feel not just love, but also care, compassion for life. You know, I have these two swallows that are building their nest outside my bedroom door. One of my favorite things in life is watching the swallows build their nest. When I started, it was like barely half a centimeter. And now the nest is about, oh, two inches from spittle. I don't know how they do it. These gorgeous rust blue swallows flying, building, and it just, and it's so, and, and they fly away every time I open my door because I'm a threat, it's an unknown. I think, no, I love you. <laughs> I mean no harm. <laughs> I mean, help me, no, I won't help you, but I'd like to. Pop it up here, just you know, the tape, you know. <laughs> and then the next, and then, and then the babies, and then the eggs come, and then the babies come and they put their heads up above the nest. <laughs> and then sometimes they get big and then they, they, they can rest their head on the nest and they're just like pat. And you see these <laughs> series of heads. <laughs> Are you mom? <laughs> I'll take everything. <laughs> and it just, it just blows your heart open. You know, just the fragility, the love, the, the sweetness. And so in the quietude, in the opening, when we're not so self-preoccupied, we can be touched, we can be moved, we're impacted. And then when we're impacted, of course we want to care, of course we want to protect, of course we want to steward, of course we want to champion and love and do what we can to help ecosystems and species and forests and, and, and all of it. How could we not? Because it's part of us. It's our own skin. It's our own lungs. It's our own body. And at 
times when we feel that love, we also feel the tenderness of, of what's happening to our beloved birth. And we also may feel grief, as grief as some of you have been pointing to. And so we hold the tenderness of that. And we grieve because we love. We love because we're connected. We're connected because we're paying attention. Understanding who we are, which is this earth and of the earth, not separate from each other, from life. So let's um, sit in the quietude for a moment, just letting these words sink in. Sensing your heart in the silence of the night and the crickets. have vanished into the sky, the last remaining clouds have faded away. We sit together the mountain and me until only the mountain remains. 